Very good morning, everyone. It's a wonderful and a privilege as well to worship in the house of the Lord and uh, for those of you online as well as we proclaim the name of the Lord together. Let's commit this time to the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and gracious Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. In 1 Samuel chapter 27, David is facing an incredibly difficult situation. As Pastor Shen and Gyamlang preached earlier this month, David was pretty much, pretty much a man on the run, hunted down by an increasingly paranoid and deranged King Saul. David had twice spared King Saul's life when he had a chance to kill him. But as Gyamnang preached two weeks ago, David was convicted that he should not take matters into his own hands, no matter how justified the action might seem. But now David is left to decide what his next move might be. Should he remain on the run within the land of Israel, where his possible remaining uh, safe areas might be dwindling? Possibly, King Saul had already laid out a network of spies and informants spread out across the land to report on David's potential whereabouts. King Saul had also demonstrated increasing bouts of paranoia that would make it all but certain that he would try to hunt down David again despite the apparent remorse, his regret um, of trying to kill David in a previous chapter. If David stayed in the land and continued a guerrilla-style existence, it would have been increasing likely that David would be cornered into a fight where he and his men would be killed. That possibility could in turn compel him to preemptively raid King Saul's camp again and to take the king's life, something he vowed not to do. King Saul's previous actions also showed that he was prepared to kill and destroy those whom he suspected of helping David and his men. So David was facing a tense life or death situation in which he had to decide the fate of his life and that of others. The big idea today then is that we need to learn how to adjust to God's plans in distressing times and uncertain situations. Now, two weeks ago, uh, Brother Giamlang very helpfully uh, threw me a ticking time bomb when he posited the question of whether David made a flawed decision by choosing unilaterally to escape over to the Philistines. Now that this uh, time bomb is on my lap, uh, I'll try to diffuse and navigate this vexing question without getting myself blown up too badly. Hopefully not. We are faced with a difficult question in today's passage because David makes a series of uh, crucial decisions and actions that impacted the lives of many. Of some concern, of concern, David's decision to go over to the Philistines raised the following. Did he have God's guidance or command to go into enemy territory? He, su he survived by deception, uh, he killed and destroyed whole villages to keep his cover story intact. He put himself into a service of an enemy king and potentially on the wrong side of the coming battle with Israel. We see that in the beginning of the few 
verses in uh, chapter 28. On the other hand, consider the following. He kept faith with his conviction not to fight and potentially harm King Saul as God's anointed. He removed the, the risk from the people of Israel who may face Paul's, uh, Saul's paranoia and vengeance for any real or perceived help given to David. He took the fight to the enemy. The tribes he raided and destroyed were under God's mandate to Israel in the conquest of the land. Now, of course, a full treatment of all these issues will be too complex to handle in the context of a sermon, so I'll just highlight a few points for our reflection, particularly around David's use of deception and his destruction of the surrounding tribes. The issue of deception remains a difficult one to handle. Needless to say, truth and honesty must be the norm for a Christian. Exceptions can exist on grounds of saving innocent life or self-defense in the face of a relentless violent aggressor. So is David justified in his cunning deception against the enemy king? David's actions here is not condemned directly in the scripture passage. We have seen previously that whenever Saul did wrong, the Bible never fails to condemn the failure or sin. Same thing with David, whenever he sinned or was careless or complacent in his relationship with God, his sin or failure was pointed out in the text. But here, the scripture is silent. It does not necessarily mean that God approves of it, but David's action is not directly condemned either. Perhaps we could say that it was under God's permissive will, if not his perfect will. How about David's killing of the tribes belonging to the Greshurites, the Gersites, and the Amalekites? The Amalekites and Gersherites were earlier identified by God in the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua for Israel to conquer or destroy. Along with the Philistines, they remained unconquered in David's time. The Gersites remain unknown, as this is the only place in Scripture that they are mentioned, but they were likely within the general area of the Holy Land identified for conquest. This map is the southern part of Israel. In short, David took possession and raided territory allocated for conquest from the days of Moses and Joshua's time. While his first aim is to ensure his own survival, he cunningly attacked Israel's enemies while deceiving the enemy king that he went raiding into Israelite territory. While the idea of tribes marked up for destruction is not an easy reality for us to deal with, this was the Old Testament reality. God's kingdom is being planted through conflict with warlike tribes who had polluted the land with idolatry, child sacrifice to demons, and immorality. You can look this up in uh, Leviticus chapter 18. The powers of darkness ruled the land and manifested itself in the lives of the Canaanite tribes. From a New Testament perspective, this is no longer the context as Christ has won the victory over the powers of darkness and there is no longer a war of conquest for the New Testament people of God. But we have to recognize that war and conquest was part of David's world. 
His actions of attacking and destroying the tribes in 1 Samuel chapter 27 are not directly condemned in the scripture narrative. Of course, it is also silent on whether God actually approved of all that David did. Arguably, David followed broadly the mandate of the law, including the conquest of the land, but there are areas of legitimate concern whether he should have waited for God's clear instructions. Personally, I lean towards the understanding that the situation was tense and fraught with danger. David reasoned within his understanding of his anointing to be the future king without harming King Saul and putting himself and fellow Israelites in potential danger if he, remain, if he remained in the land of Israel. He took the course of relocating to enemy territory. The text is silent whether David subsequently sought the Lord's confirmation or guidance. Maybe he sought the Lord and did not get a clear answer. Maybe he didn't. Perhaps at most we can say that David chose the lesser of two evils. I believe that scripture narrative here deliberately provides us with the tension and suspense of an ambiguous and dangerous situation for David. David is being thrust into enemy territory without an explicit mention of God's guidance or promise of protection. Would David's potential of being Israel's future king be lost in the enemy lands? Will he remain true to his calling or will he be forced to betray his own people for the sake of survival? The narrative text doesn't provide us with neat, clear-cut answers we would have liked. Where's God's roadmap for David? What was the clear word from God? Was David doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Silence. The text is silent. I'd like to suggest to you that this is the most powerful aspect of 1 Samuel chapter 27. The silence of God in this period of David's life, when he fled into enemy territory, forces us to face our own desperate hour where there is much uncertainty, where there are no clear-cut answers or comfortable roadmaps, when we feel we are held hostage to hostile circumstances and distressing times. There are three aspects of what we can learn about adapting ourselves to God's plans in distressing situations. First, deciding under duress. Second, having clarity of calling and third, forging the future. First, deciding under duress. Deciding in life is nothing less than aligning ourselves to God's heart day after day. We saw earlier the various concerns about David's decision to relocate to enemy territory in 1 Samuel chapter 27. One key aspect of the concerns is that David did not seem to have sought the Lord's direction or guidance. He did not seem to be operating under the Lord's specific commands. Given David's life of devotion and praise, though, I would find it improbable or highly unlikely that he would not have worshipped 
and prayed to God during the 16 months in enemy territory. Given what we know of David, he would have sought out God during his months of exile. The key question then is whether David sought to align himself to how he believed God had guided him throughout his life and more importantly, his experience with God since the prophet Samuel anointed him as the future king. As we have seen, we have no direct answer, but Scripture does give us an overall verdict on David's life in 1 Kings chapter 15. The start of 1 Kings 15 is actually a verdict on King Abijah, a descendant of David. 1 Kings 15 verse 3 says that Abijah was not devoted to the Lord as David had been. The phrase uses his, meaning Abijah's heart, was not fully devoted to the Lord as the heart of David, his forefather, had been. Meaning, David was a man after God's heart. In 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, we are, giving the, we are given the overall verdict of Scripture of David's life. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba, whom David murdered to cover up his sin of adultery. Now, to be sure, this is not the only time David sinned. For instance, the people suffered judgment during David's reign because David held a census of Israel's army that displeased God. But the overall verdict on David was that he was devoted and aligned himself with God's heart. That is, he put himself to what God wanted and how God wanted him to be king despite being a very flawed and imperfect man. The fundamental goal of making decisions in uncertain times is to align ourselves day after day to God's heart. But how? The starting point is our identity and relationship with God. David had a clear sense of identity in his relationship with God. He is the anointed future king of Israel. He might be running like a lawless bandit, scraping off living off the land like a desperate man, but these circumstances were not his identity. They did not define him. What defined David was his position with God as an anointed future king with a prophetic destiny to bring the nation to security under God and to shepherd over God's people. He has a track record of experiencing God ever since he was a young shepherd boy, fighting off bears and wolves from the flock. He is a passionate worshipper of God, a poetic prayer warrior, before he was a skilled soldier. These were the things that defined David's identity. And David never lost sight of his identity when he was driven to enemy territory by Saul's uh, relentless, murderous pursuit. In fact, the very reason David's life was threatened was precisely because of his identity as the anointed future king. 
maybe David would have thought that the transition would have been smooth to be the future king of Israel. He was the king's son-in-law. But that turned out to be a dark journey for David. But David never lost heart and gave up his identity that God has given him. He could have said, you know, this is not what I signed up for. He could have said, I'm going over to the enemy as a mercenary and inflict, inflict vengeance on Saul himself or his supporters. But he did not do any of that. He could have insisted on a detailed roadmap from God of all the steps laid out for him, a step-by-step -step playbook of what he should do. But a roadmap is not a relationship. David's identity was the basis of a relationship of dependence on God, even when the road ahead was shrouded with uncertainty and danger. And aligning with God's heart, which included God's anointing on him as king, was what David strove to do, however imperfectly or flawed he might have gone about it. When you are making decisions under duress, pause and stop if you have not considered your identity in Christ and your relationship with God. If you are a Christian, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have a prophetic destiny to be glorified with Christ. These are the things that define your identity. Work and status don't define us. Career disappointments and failures at school don't define us. Distressing circumstances do not define us. Do not let circumstances rob you of your identity or joy of being a child of God, saved by grace, raised up to be more than a conqueror through Christ your Lord. Yes, we must all deal with these issues of life, whether success or failures, we have to deal with them. But we must be strengthened and grounded first in our identity in Christ and our relationship with God. And in our relationship with God today, we can strengthen ourselves with God's Word, the complete revelation of the Old and New Testament, of who God is and how He works. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit to ground and shape our identity in Christ through the living Word of God. It's a relationship we constantly develop so that we can sense the move of God around us. We can sense the move of God in absence of a clear, explicit word. We can sense the move of God when we have cultivated that long-term relationship with God. And this helps us to discern the path ahead even in uncertain times and distressing situations. Here's our first reflection question. How much is your identity in Christ a factor in how you make choices? And for the kids, how does loving Jesus affect how you make choices?
Second, clarity of calling. God's purpose is the only thing that gives us direction and purpose in life. As we saw earlier, the context of David's time was the kingdom of God being planted through conflict with spiritual demonic forces working through warlike tribes. Understanding this context of David's world allows us to see David fulfilling his calling as the future king of Israel. Now, to be clear, the scripture passage states that David's raids and destruction of the enemy tribes were his way of surviving and operating under an enemy king. But I will suggest to you that while he was ensuring his survival, David was at the same time fulfilling his role as Israel's king. In this period, Israel's king were to deliver the people from their enemies and bring the fight to the hostile tribes or to defend the land against raids and attacks. For example, in Saul's um, anointing as king, it's explicit that God has raised King Saul at the beginning of his reign uh, to deliver Israel from the Philistines, for example. In his raids against the tribes, David was operating and raiding in the general area of the land that had been allocated to Israel during the time of Joshua, but had yet remained unconquered in David's time, a gap of over 400 years. David took the fight to the enemy who were a constant threat to the security of Israel. David had to deal with the pressing problem of surviving in enemy territory. That was his primary aim. But he also dealt with it in a way that accords with his calling as Israel's leader and future king. In other words, if his identity is grounded in his anointing as future king, the calling of that anointing that flows from his identity is to defend Israel and fight her enemies. It doesn't mean that God endorses everything that David does. But God's providential hand is molding him and shaping him. David was subduing the tribes in a way that anticipates his actual reign as king so that by the time Solomon, his son, comes to the throne, Solomon had peace and security on every side. 
The narrative in 1 Samuel chapter 27 paints David as one who is clear about his calling even as he goes about the basic task of surviving and thriving under hostile, con hostile conditions. The enemy king, Akish, expected David to raid into Israel. David raided Israel's enemies instead. David's context was one of mandated wars and conquests. Our present context is the kingdom of God won and established by Christ. Christ defeated the spiritual forces on the cross, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And now we are called to implement Christ's victory by dying to self to proclaim the gospel of peace. It is the good news of God's grace and forgiveness to all of us who were once God's enemies, but now reconciled and saved to the cross. Our struggle is no longer physical warfare, but spiritual warfare as we live as disciples of Christ. So in our present context, our fundamental calling can be summarized as follows, to be like Christ, to follow Christ, and to serve Christ. In good times or bad, in favorable circumstances or otherwise, in whatever life decisions we make, we need to have the clarity of our calling to be like Christ, how God is molding me in this situation, to follow Christ, how am I following Christ in the decisions I am making, and to serve Christ, how God is working around me. As we saw earlier, in every life decision we make, and in the way we handle circumstances. We need to ask, is this compatible with my identity in Christ and aligned with God's heart as I read his word? Am I clear about my calling in Christ in the way I'm handling the situation or in the way I'm living now? Uh, there, were, there are some brothers in my small group who work in very high-pressure positions in our manufacturing sector. And they have positions of responsibility and have various people under them. I believe, uh, through the sharing in a small group, I believe the last two years have been incredibly difficult and demanding for them. Conditions were not favorable. And if you would ask them, I think they would say that every day is a battle. You wake up, you go, you know there's a full day's worth of battle ahead of you. Nonetheless, through their sharing, I have a strong sense that they are living out their calling in Christ despite the circumstances. I get the sense that desperate, earnest prayers were part of their workday. I think they must have wrestled with what it means to be a Christian, a child of God, in trying to manage their respective situations. Now, I don't know their team members personally, but I do believe the people around them through the past two years would have sensed God's grace and presence in their lives as they navigate through the challenges of the past two years. No one willingly goes into hostile conditions and enemy territory to suffer. But such struggles are part of our reality. While in enemy territory, however, 
remember your calling in Christ. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, to become like him in death, and so somehow attaining, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. To know Christ and to live out your calling in the midst of life circumstances is also to experience the power of his resurrection over every situation and circumstances in this life up to and including our earthly death where we will be raised, we will be raised with Christ. For a second reflection question, how does knowing your calling in Christ help you respond differently in any situation? And for the kids, can you think of any area in your life that God might want you to change and become more like Jesus? Third, forging the future. The future is the outworking of God's will. When we align with God's heart and we live according to God's purpose, then we are becoming more and more part of God's future. God has a definite shape of the future. The Bible calls it new creation or the new heavens or the new earth in passages like Isaiah and Revelation. At the core of this new world is God's relationship with his people. I will be their God and they will be my people. There'll be no more pain, death or cries of distress. Because abundant life in his presence has always been what God intended for creation. 
With the victory of Christ on the cross, the powers of sin and darkness have been dealt a mortal blow. Through Christ, God claims all enemy territory as his own. Though the power and influence of sin and death are still present, their time is very short. God's kingdom is now advancing not through physical walls and conquests, but through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We are all being shaped through the power of the gospel for God's future. There are no unfavorable circumstances that are beyond God's control, which means that God's shaping of our lives through the difficult periods and tough times will not go to waste. And though in the most difficult periods of our lives, God may seem silent, God is actually present, shaping our lives and our future. Silence is not absence. From the silence in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and into the coming chapters, David will go through an intense period of his life where so much hangs in the balance, so much is uncertain. But God was actually providentially shaping David and preparing him to be the king of Israel, the king that Israel needed. It will be in this intense period where David will transition to ascend the throne to reign as king. He might be a lawless bandit now in this very intense transition period, but he will end up reigning as king by God's hand. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says that we who have received God's provision, abundant provision and gift of righteousness, will reign in life to Christ. Like David, we might find ourselves in hostile conditions and ambiguous, tense situations in life. But God, in David's life, was at work forging David's future, preparing him to take the throne. Likewise, God is now at work shaping us preparing us to reign with Christ and through Christ. Reigning with Christ means that you're operating under the authority of Christ and the power of His Spirit as you grapple with the difficult situation, knowing that your calling now is to show Christ-likeness in your decisions, actions, and emotions. And so whether it is a tough season with a family situation, a health condition, or work difficulty, God works in us to prepare the ground of God's kingdom to be manifested in our lives to impact the situation. In other words, God places you where you are to claim ground for God's kingdom. Your first instinct will be like David's. I need to survive this. I don't know how I need to really survive this. But the Holy Spirit in you will remind you, don't forget, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. God's grace will work in you to align your heart to God's heart. 
and God's hand will shape you for God's future. If we have sinned and got ourselves into a situation, repent and come back to God. Reconcile with others and do what is necessary to correct the situation. If we are in a situation through no fault of our own, trust in the Lord and align with His heart. Remember to live out your calling in Christ. God will make a way out for us. I want to turn our third reflection question into a time of prayer. And I'd like to invite you to come before the Lord and consider, have you committed your future to God? If you have no certainty of the future, no grounds of hope for the future, I'd like to invite you to come to the one certainty and surety in our future, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we have been Christians, but we have been sidetracked or been laid down low by a hostile circumstance or unfavorable times, I'd like to invite you to come before the Lord and commit your future once again, once again into God's hands. It is God's plan, it's not our plans. It's Christ's life in us, it's not our life. Our life belongs to Christ. I'd like to invite you to come to the Lord at this time. I'm going to give you a moment to open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and lay your future your situation, your burden before the Lord. If you have not known Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I'd like to invite you to say this prayer of surrender to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I have sinned, I'm lost, but this day, I want to hold on to you for my future. Forgive me my sin, heal me of my affliction. I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you also, if you have known the Lord and you're still not sure about your future, to bring yourself before the Lord even right now. Father, we, we come before you, our eyes are upon you. Lord, for those who have opened their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that you grant them that certainty, the hope, the assurance of their salvation, their secure future. There are many of us, O oh Lord, who are also wrestling with uncertain times and hostile circumstances. We don't have any clear-cut answers, neither do we have any certainty of what steps to take. But Lord, you are always there for us. Even if we don't know the exact steps, we want to align ourselves to your heart. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will help us sense the move, 
how you're working around us. And Lord, even as we surrender our futures before you, we know you are a good God. You will never fail or forsake your people. And so we rest in the certainty of your goodness, of your faithfulness. And we pray in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, though there's much uncertainty, Lord, we know with certainty your faithful goodness will see us through. And so we look to you, Lord, and we surrender our lives to you. We ask and pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.